Thanks so much, Paul. It's a real joy to be with you this morning. Uh, I don't say that lightly. It's a beautiful drive uh, through the Sussex countryside, and uh, the countryside looks beautiful at this time. And it's true, Paul, that my uh, fellowship relationship with you goes back many, many years. And uh, I remember when I, we first started meeting in Don's home, and then you moved from place to place. You kind of needed a word of knowledge to find where you were. Uh, but where are they now? As I drove over from Brighton. And then you got this massive place. And uh, it's great to come again after maybe a couple of years to see how you progressed, moved on. It's not a church standing still, is it? Praise God. And uh, it's just marvelous to see how God has given you not only this premises, but now in such a fabulous way, uh, shaped it up and getting ready for the next phase, uh, reaching out to the people. Uh, you're so magnificently placed here, aren't you, opposite the hospital there. People can be very aware of your being here to serve this community. So it's a terrific blessing to be with you. It's a great joy to be with Paul back in uh, Romania, wherever he's gone. Where is he? Over there. <laughs> and uh, actually, I was with Nigel and Claire in Berlin. Wendy and I were there, uh, I guess, 18 months ago now, and I was so proud of them as they've uh, got stuck into that city and uh, battled through with the challenge of fresh culture, fresh language, everything new, and uh, just saying there's nowhere we'd rather be now. We just know God's put us here, and it was a huge blessing just to speak in their crowded room, people packing into their place, and you just feel, hey, God's wonderfully with them. So it's, it's a blessing to be back with you. Uh, it's kind of been my custom now for years to carry a box of books with me. So there's books over on the right-hand side. Uh, the Spirit-Filled Church is the latest book that I've written. I just commend it to you. I'm so glad it seems to be going well and uh, beginning to open doors for us in the USA, which is encouraging as uh, more and more churches are getting uh, opened up. Uh, the, even this weekend, there's a Midwest celebration, which for the last 10 years or so, Wendy and I have spoken at uh, this fairly big weekend. And this year, they've invited my son, Joel, to speak. So I'm kind of redundant. And uh, it's hilarious, actually, because he's taken his little boy, Hudson, with him. And uh, so, praise God for another generation uh, that is coming through. I was thrilled to hear about teenagers here getting filled with the Spirit and so on. Um, also, there's No Well-Worn Paths there and one or two other titles that's been recently reprinted. And, but one I want to specially mention is really fresh off the press. Uh, Wendy has written this, His Strong Hand. It's a, just a fabulous book of short chapters. You don't read the whole book right through at a go. At least it's quite hard to stop reading, to be honest, because the chapters are so good. And they're kind of anecdotal experiences of life and yet showing how God is faithful, sometimes in tough scenes, sometimes in hilarious situations. It'll make you chuckle. Uh, for me, it brought some tears to my eyes from time to time as I remember how God proved. So it's full of experiences, full of testimony to the faithfulness of God. So I just commend that to you. It's only just literally come out, and uh, so please take advantage on the book table at the back. Right, if you want to follow in the scriptures, I'm reading from Second Timothy and chapter 1. Second Timothy chapter 1. Incidentally, I'm looking forward to being with you at Ashburnham. Can you guarantee the weather will be as good then as it is now? As we drove through the country this morning, we thought, wow, it would be great if it's like this. 
at Ashburnham that weekend. That could be summer this weekend, couldn't it? This year, rather. (laughs) Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers, night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I might be filled with joy. For I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Saviour Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I've believed, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Father, we've loved singing uh, your worship this morning. We've loved reflecting on truth we love, Lord, just knowing that we were redeemed not just with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. We thank you for the value, Lord, that you place on this congregation this morning. Every life, prized and valued, treasured, planned for in love. Lord, it's just magnificent to belong to you. It's so awesome to know your shepherding care, to know that you know all that we face, the setbacks, the disappointments, the encouragements, the hopes. Father, thank you so much that our lives are wrapped up in God. And Father, we ask you right now, please, for the help of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Rest upon us. Please come and be our teacher. Please come take the words we're considering. Invest them with power and revelation. Come speak right into our hearts, please, Father. We love it, Lord, when we hear your voice. We love it when we know we've been spoken to by God. Father, I pray for that genuine sense of engagement with God as we hear your word together. So come, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this is one of these letters to a young man who's been called to serve God, Paul's young servant friend, Timothy. And uh, he was commissioned on Paul's behalf, to serve among the churches. The Apostle Paul raised up young guys and formed a kind of a team who went often on his behalf 
initially accompanying him, serving alongside him, and then ultimately released to work on his behalf. And I often think of uh, Timothy's experience that when you think, boy, how do you stand on Paul's behalf? How do you, when you think of Paul, the Apostle Paul, I've just been reading through Second Corinthians while we've been away for a few days, just been looking through uh, D.A. Carson's commentary on the four of those chapters where he kind of unveils his life, his ministry, the battles he's fought, I mean the incredible things he's been through, the fact he went to heaven, whether he was in the body or out of the body, he doesn't really know, but he had visions and, you know, Paul, the mighty Apostle Paul, um, I'm sending Timothy. Oh, wow. Um, how do you represent Paul? How do you stand up when Paul can't come? Uh, it's a huge challenge, I think. Timothy lived with a massive challenge that he had to represent the Apostle Paul. And I think very often, as believers, we can feel kind of out of our depth. We can feel, am I up for this? Not because we're having to represent some great person, but simply to live the Christian life, to be a godly mother, to be a godly man, to live a life that is appropriate to God. And we think, boy, how do you do this? This is challenging. And certainly for Timothy, it was a very challenging concept to say, well, I've got to fill the shoes of the mighty Apostle Paul. I've got to go on his behalf. Paul's not coming, it's me, folks. And uh, they think, oh, God, this is challenging. And whenever I read Timothy, I think, boy, this must have been really tough for him, really difficult for him. And it's interesting to see some of the tasks that uh, the Apostle Paul gave him. If you glance through First and Second Timothy and just look at the various instructions, things he says, right, do this, do this, don't forget that, handle that, sort that out. You think, oh, wow, it's a really challenging program that is set before him. Handle all these things. For, in- for instance, he says this, instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. I mean, that's tough. Sorting people out. It's one thing giving a sermon, uh, in a sense, well, you just stand up, do your thing, go home, uh, but confront certain people. Uh, we're trying to build a church, Timothy, and churches. And that means sometimes you have to hit some things hard. You have to confront things that are wrong. You need to sort them. You need to shape them up in order that we can build a church that's secure, that's got a good foundation, that isn't all over the place. The kind of church I believe God's been building here over the decades. Foundational values were put in very well. So that it wouldn't build like that. It would build strong and straight and keep on being added to and be secure as it grows. Foundational issues were handled very well here. But sometimes it means, hey, you have to speak to some people. You have to sort some people. You have to challenge some people. Something that's often forgotten in what is called church life. But here it is with Timothy. Sort some things out. It says, for instance, confront people who've got a wrong attitude to the law. Now even that can be challenging. When Paul began preaching the gospel, there was that overlap. People have been used to walking with God through the centuries, and the way they uh, obeyed God was to obey the law. They respected the law. The law was full of authority. And Paul's ushered in a gospel that is not law-based. It's grace-based. It's a completely different approach. It's a new covenant. The old one is called obsolete. It's out of date. It's no longer relevant. And Paul had to challenge people. Because when he preached the gospel, often afterwards, you would get what are called the Judaizers, the people whose roots went back into the Hebrew faith, and they would say, yeah, well, it's great that you've accepted our Messiah. Uh, Our prophets said that uh, 
the pagans would accept our Messiah in the end times, but um, we've known him for generations. If you really want to please him, uh, you better be circumcised, and you better keep the Sabbath, and uh, you better not eat that kind of food. And you must remember, and so they laid on things, laid on. And Paul had to challenge that all the time. He had to preach, no, no, we're not under law, which can be quite a confrontational thing. I remember once I was on holiday in Spain, staying with my sister. She lived in Spain, and uh, we were just having a lovely break. And she said, would you preach on the church on the Sunday? You know, sing for your supper. So I said, okay, we'll preach. So I preached on, I preached on the grace of God. And I, I'm kind of halfway through my sermon and as I'm preaching, and it's only happened to me once like this, as I'm preaching, a guy stood up. He was dressed very formally and smart. He stood up, and I'm preaching, we're not under law. And he stood and he said out loud, this is the most outrageous thing I've ever heard in a church. I thought, wow, hallelujah. <laughs> this, this is exciting. And uh, I said, well, sir, um, I think the scandal of the gospel is having its impact, but if you just kind of wait till I've finished, I think you'll see where I'm going. Uh, but, you know, to say we're not under law can sometimes meet with, hey, what are you saying? And some doctrines are like that. Some things we have to handle can be a bit confrontational, a bit difficult to taste. And Paul had to teach Timothy, teach them the law is good, providing it's used lawfully, knowing it's not for the righteous, but for sinners. That once we're in Christ, we're not under law. We're under grace. You have to preach it, you have to confront it, you have to say it. So Timothy's got a, an important resp- uh, responsibility. He has to teach them things about leadership qualities. He has to settle up elders and deacons and say, well, these are the qualifications. Then look into people's lives. Say, yeah, I think you qualify. By implication, perhaps you don't, but you do. And that's not easy to handle sometimes. And then one of these is quite difficult. It says about what you do with real widows. It's a funny phrase, isn't it? Real widows. You think of this thing for the poor. You think, well, yeah, you're a widow. God bless you. You know, you're a widow. Let me help you. You're, uh, I don't think you're a real widow. He's like, how do you handle that? I mean, you have to discern what is a real widow. I'm like, this is difficult. And some of the challenges he has to face, he says, tell the rich... In fact, in, one of the, in the old King James it says, command the rich. When I say the old King James, just by the way, little advert here, don't know if you noticed, Melvin Bragg, is it Thursday night this week? A whole hour's television program, Melvin Bragg on the life of William Tyndale. Do watch it if you can, or copy it, you know, record it. It'll be fascinating, a secular man honouring him. It sounds like he's going to really honour him greatly. The story of the Bible being translated into English. Wonderful. Watch out for that. But he says, listen, in the the King James, uh, it says, command the rich not to be conceited, not to put their trust in riches. Well, you know, rich people are not used to being commanded. Timothy, command the rich. Okay. Uh, You know, it's a bit challenging, isn't it? Command the rich not to be conceited. And then he says, and by the way, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. You think, oh boy, that as well. (laughs) This is tough, all right? So Timothy faces a tough, tough calling. And I think sometimes we can feel, have I really got what it takes? I know for myself, when I first heard the gospel, I thought, will I be able to keep it up? I've become a Christian. I mean, it's a different lifestyle. How do you do that? 
I knew my background. I knew how I used to be. I thought, wow, I don't think I could keep it up. We can feel that. Have I got what it takes? So, first of all, the challenge Timothy faced, okay? A big challenge. Secondly, the limitations that he felt, all right? Here's a big challenge, Timothy. Go for it. Uh, But I've got these challenges I personally face. Not only a high calling, but... Let's listen to this. It says, let no man despise your youth. So he felt disqualified because he's too young. Now, if I can bless some guys here this morning, maybe some ladies too, this is fascinating because um, when Paul wrote this to Timothy, this is his second epistle to Timothy. Uh, Timothy's been working with him for some time now, and uh, this is Paul's last letter in the Bible before he was martyred for the faith. And here's this last letter. And he's saying to Timothy, don't let anyone despise your youth. Listen. Most commentators would say that Timothy was about 40 by now. Okay? Okay, guys? All we 40-year-olds? Don't let anyone despise your youth. Isn't that encouraging, eh? Okay? Don't let anyone despise your youth. Because this culture really respected age, And so a 40-year-old, hey, what are you doing? So don't let anyone despise your youth. He was inexperienced, okay? So it may not be necessarily just tied into literal years, but how we often feel, I don't know if I know the answer to that one. Maybe you're a small group leader, and questions come up, you think, I don't know if I know the answer to that, sorry. And you think, it's just feeling inadequate sometimes, even when a Jehovah's Witness knocks your door. You think, God, I don't know if I know the Bible as well as he does. And sometimes we just feel, I haven't got it together like I'd like to have it together. And that's what's true of this guy, Timothy. He was feeling uncomfortable, a sense of inexperience, vulnerable, not really sure of himself. And Paul's saying to him, don't anyone despise your youth. And then secondly, he says this, he's young, he's a bit too young, arguably. He's also timid. This is the kind of personality that Timothy has. We tend to think of a leader as being an incredible kind of extrovert guy. I was watching some, I don't often watch religious television, I have to confess, uh, I mean, very, very rarely. I was hanging around last evening just waiting for a program to start and I'm flicking around and I found the religious stuff and I thought, oh, have a look. And there was, there was a guy preaching in uh, uh, Sydney, I think, New South Wales, Australia. And he's preaching to like, it, looked, it must have been like 30,000. It's just a vast stadium. And the stage is in the middle. It's, the stage is almost as big as our room here. And, and they're just banked up, banked up. And this guy looked so phenomenally. He had a terrific message. He looked really happy and free. And, uh, and you think, well, of course, the guy's a born extrovert, a born performer. I mean, he really was tremendous. And then as part of his preaching, he said, when I was at school, teachers used to ridicule me. And one teacher in particular used to say, well, do you stand up and read? And he said, I, would, I couldn't read. I couldn't. He said, my ears would go red. And he'd do it just to make my ears go red. And, and it, I, I couldn't speak. I couldn't articulate. And I thought, wow, look at that. Who would have dreamed? Who would have dreamed? That that guy who looks just so... Assured. And we tend to think leaders are people who've got some sort of extrovert skill, 
you know, they've got personality, they, whether they were in teaching or in uh, the arts, or maybe they were in commerce, they would succeed anywhere. And this guy's saying, no, no, I couldn't put two words together. And that's often the way in the Bible. You look at Paul, called a big poem, God calls uh, Moses. And Moses says, I can't speak. And God calls Gideon. He says, no, no, I'm, I'm nobody, and I'm the least in my father's house, and he's nobody. It's like, oh, don't. You know, so, you know, that concept of not being confident. Timothy was timid. He says, don't let anyone... Um, no, no, God has not given us a spirit of timidity. Interesting. He says in 1 Corinthians, when Paul, Paul sends Timothy to the Corinthians, he writes this to them. When Timothy comes... Don't frighten him. <laughs> that would be great, wouldn't it? I said, you know, I'm sending Dave Devonish. When he comes, don't frighten him. <laughs> He'd frighten you, actually. But uh, you know, what a way you send him. Don't frighten him. He's a preacher. No, don't frighten him. He's, he's got this this disposition that doesn't look full of confidence. Like Jeremiah said, I, I can't too young and too I can't speak. So many of God's servants have that as their background, and yet it's interesting. You think, why, why would Paul send such a man? He says this, I've got no one like him. If you look in Philippians chapter 2, he gives a little pen portrait of Timothy. So I'm sending Timothy. He says, I've got no one like him who served with me like a son with the father. So actually what Paul is seeing is internal values. Loyalty, comradeship, faithfulness. And he values those things very highly. He says, I've got no one like him. He says, he says they're all seeking their own interests. He said, he is genuinely concerned for you. It's gen- I remember once, I, many years ago, uh, I think we just moved over to Brighton, we're just uh, getting underway and things are beginning to develop. And I get invited to speak at Millmead, that's, that's David Pawson's big church in Guildford. And I'm asked to preach at Guildford. I think, Wow, that is scary. Because, uh, I mean, David Pawson's like, at that time, probably one of the most prominent preachers. His tapes went all over the world. He's an amazing guy. And I think, wow, I'm going to stand in David Pawson's pulpit. And I remember I'm driving up the 281. I remember it vividly. I'm driving, I think, oh God, oh God, oh God. I'm going, oh God. Oh, and I thought God said, pull over. So I, I pulled over. I said, oh God. And I felt God said to me, what about the people? I thought, the people? Yeah, what about the people? I don't know. I just want to survive. I just want to get through this. <laughs> and I thought, God said to me, pray for the people. I thought, oh Lord, I'm so sorry. It was a real wake up. Paul says, I don't have anyone like Timothy. He's genuinely concerned for you. I know for myself, whenever I get, I get, you can get into that mode. You think, oh God, and you think, hey, wait a minute, remember, remember? What about the people? And Timothy, it could honestly, Paul could say, no, no, he's genuinely concerned for you. He wants the best for you. He's passionate for you. Learn that, no doubt, through Paul, from God. He's genuinely concerned for you. He'd serve with me like a child with the Father. So this guy, yeah, he looks wobbly. One more, one more thing about him, actually. How about this one? 1 Timothy 5.23 Take a little wine for your 
frequent ailments. What? You mean he's often sick? Yeah. He's too young, he's scared, and he's often sick. Man alive, what are you doing sending this guy? He's often sick. He's not obviously heard the great doctrine of divine health. Now he may have been often healed as well, praise God, but he was often sick. And it's possible... It's possible to get a kind of self-image that, you know, if there's a bug around, I don't know, I always seem to pick it up. You can, you can feel that. You can feel, mm, it kind of knocks your self-image. Oh, he's sick again. Oh, he's off work again. Oh, he didn't turn out, not, not very well. Timothy was like that. He was often sick. He's often sick. So I think it's amazing when you just read through the passages and see... This guy that Paul says, now you're going to represent me. In all your frailty, in all your sense of frustration maybe, I don't want you to yield to despair, Timothy. You're going to serve. You're going to be my representative. So we've looked at two things. We've looked at the challenge he faced, standing on Paul's behalf. We've looked secondly at the limitations the limitations he felt, the sense of, oh God, am I, am I really the right guy for the job? Have I got what it takes? And then lastly, I just want to look at the provision that he had. What was Paul's answer? What's Paul's answer to all these problems? That if I'm going to serve God, what, what's the answer? Well, we read it together, and I want to really spend some time on this and just look at the very, there's several phrases I want to pick up. When I was pre- preparing this and looking at this, I felt God said, don't miss any phrase. Every phrase I want you just to pick up. So Paul says to him, fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. In other words, Timothy, the answer to all the difficulties and challenges you face, I'll tell you it. Fan into flame, the gift of God that's in you. Paul put huge trust in the resource of the power of the Holy Spirit that would transform and change and make him adequate for the task. So Paul says elsewhere, our sufficiency is not of us. Our sufficiency is from God who makes us sufficient. How does he do that? By the Holy Spirit. By the Spirit of God enabling But this important thing, which we'll come back to at the end, fan into flame this gift. There's something about the possibility of having this gift, Timothy, in all your fear and adequacies and youthfulness and forgetting what you've got on board. That's what God wants us to hear this morning. That's what he wants you to hear this morning. We've heard this morning about young people being baptised in the Holy Spirit. I'm sure many, many of us, probably the majority of us here, have known something of the Spirit coming upon us. But Paul is saying to Timothy, now Timothy, you need to fan into flame this gift. And we'll come to that actual phrase at the end. First of all, it's the gift. Right? The gift of God that is in you. First of all, it's a gift. And it's so important for us to to labour this, alright? Because our kind of, our mental attitude tends to slip back into, I get what I deserve. I get rewards for how well I'm doing. There's something in our nature that thinks that way. Do I deserve this? 
have I done well enough to get this? And it's almost inescapable, and you'll find, and we'll talk about this as we go on, we kind of want to argue our case, surely I've tried to earn this for the Lord, I'm trying hard, and we miss the whole point of gift. The gift of God that is in you. You see, we're not talking about a spirit-filled person as someone who draws upon their great educational background. Well, of course he shines. I mean, he got a degree, didn't he? Of course he shines. He was in the debating society at work, at school. Of course, you know, he, he got, look at his background. Look, look, at, look at his parents. Look, he had such a, no, no, it's nothing to do with that. It's nothing to do with that. And it's important for us to see, many would argue that Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is the key to understanding the whole of the book of Acts and how church history broke out. What is Acts 1.8? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Don't start. Wait till you're endued with power. See, it's, it's almost incredible to me, and um, I guess to anyone who reads the Gospels, you look at these characters in the Gospels, these disciples, these 12 apostles. They don't understand much. They keep getting it wrong. They blunder, they argue, they're arrogant, they're scared. They all run away. I mean, Simon Peter is famous because he denied, but they, it says they all ran away. And yet, within a few chapters, we're reading, these guys turn the world upside down. What, you mean different guys? No, these guys. Well, they're, they're a mess. They're manifestly hopeless. It says, I mean, it's just there on every page. And yet the power of God fell upon them. And, and I mean, 3,000, 5,000. Wow, God. God has come. Not because they deserved it. Can we hear that? Not because they deserved it. It's a gift. It's a gift. You know, I love that story. It says in the, very early in the book of Acts. Paul, I beg pardon, Peter... It's by the temple, the beautiful gate of the temple. There's a cripple, and the cripple's asking for money, and he says, I don't have any money. Such as I have. This is, this is Simon. Such as I have. Look at me. That's his first line. Look at me. Such as I have, I give you. Wow, what's he talking about? Such as I ha- Look at me. Such as I have, I give you. Get up. And he gets up. And he's totally healed. You think... Simon, Peter, where'd you get that from? Well, a few days ago, I was cursing and swearing and saying, no, I don't know Jesus, I'm not with Jesus, no, no, for the third time, you know, one after another, well, oh, surely, little girl says to him, surely, I mean, you've got this Galilean accent, you're from the north, no, I'm not with him, blankety blank, you know, how did you qualify for this such as I have? It's free. It's free. It's a gift. See, it's so hard for us. We think, no, you have... See, we often pray things like this. Oh, God, make me more holy. Then you can give me power. Doesn't seem to work like that. You want to have power? Just shout and swear and say, I don't know Jesus. That's how you get it. (laughs) I, I went once to the National Gallery... And there were two paintings, and they were the same. 
um, subject in the painting. Different artists, uh, and they were both Samson having his hair cut off by Delilah. And a bit similar, but there were, and there were notes all around. It's in the National Gallery, and there's notes, you know, look at this, look at this, and look at the styles. And, 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 but what was common to both? And there's Delilah, she's got scissors in her hand, and, uh, uh, and, and uh, Samson's kind of draped over her lap. And, and it's very similar in a sense, but obviously different artistic skills. But the thing that was common to both, guess what it was? Samson is full of muscles. That's the way Samson's always portrayed. I mean, it's Samson, isn't it? It's like Samson. And I mean, some of them, I, mean, I think one of the painters was Renoir. I mean, he's got muscles on his muscles. It's just, <laughs> and he's just having his hair clipped, you know. And you look at it, you think that's got to be wrong. That's got to be wrong. I remember years ago uh, when Hollywood produced a movie called Samson and Delilah. Simple title. And uh, uh, you know, at the at the time, they're trying to find the guy to play Samson, and they come up with a fellow called Victor Mature who at that time was kind of the beefiest uh, actor around. It's like, you can, can hardly walk for your muscles, you know. And of course, without Samson, isn't it? But wait a minute. If that's what he looked like, why do you say, where did you get your power from? That's the, that's the recurring question. What's the secret? You see, if you're talking to Arnold Schwarzenegger, you don't say to him, where did you get the power from? He said, you pump those irons, you know, you just... It's, it's obvious. It's obvious. The guy's rippling with muscles. Samson must have looked like anybody else. Isn't that true? Yes. Surely that's true. Because they said, what is the secret? Is you do this? Is it special ropes? Is it something to do with? What's the story? What's the clue? And he throws away little tricks to try and ensnare them. And it is them. It's something other than himself. It's not the projection of him. It's another power that comes upon him. Please get hold of this. It's another power that comes upon him. The power of God came upon him. And listen, he doesn't look like he deserves anything. It's a gift. You think, Samson, you look like an absolute waste of time. I mean, the guy is immoral. He's all over the place. And in the end, he pays the price for it. But power is not a reward. The Holy Spirit is not a reward. Now please don't hear what I'm not saying. God is interested in my sanctification. This is the will of God for us, that we get sanctified. It so in the Bible. But gifts are not a reward for sanctification. I think many of us don't expect much of the Spirit because, well, I'm not sure I've done very well lately. And I felt God really said to me, I want you to notice every phrase here. The gift. Timothy, stir up the gift. It's a gift. You don't deserve it. It's a gift. It's another energy other than you. There's nothing to do with you. It's not the projection of your personality. It's another power that's come to you. It's a gift. Wendy and I lived in the States for two years and tragically one of my son's backslid badly while we were living there. It's a long story, I won't get into it. But he really slipped away from God. And uh, he got into um, really grunge music. I mean, not just rock and roll. I mean, grunge. And it was really bad, heavy, woof. And uh, 
uh, the words of these songs, dreadful, it's black. And he had these pictures around his wall and his room. You know, you had to have committed suicide to qualify to get on his wall. They were just dreadful, heavy men. And, uh, and the noise levels. And I thought, oh, this is so terrible. I remember going to his room and saying, Simon, please turn down the music. All right, so he'd turn it down. And then I'd go away and it would go, again. And think, the house is rocking with this dreadful racket. And, uh, and one day, it broke. Oh. It broke. I thought, oh, thank you, Jesus. And of course, he hasn't got two pennies to rub together, so hallelujah, <laughs> glory. It's all finished. And I'm at a prayer meeting. Within a few days, I'm at a prayer meeting in, in Kansas City. And I remember so clearly, just with a pastor's group, we gather pastors like we do here, gather pastors to pray. And we're just worshiping. And, and, and God says to me, buy Simon a new CD player. And, and, I, and I think, I bind that, I bind that, I bind that word. And I just, it just came to me more and more. Buy him a new... I thought, oh no. And it came with such clarity. I thought, oh grief. And I actually, in the end, kind of a bit of fear in my heart. I actually went to the store on the way home. I thought, oh, okay, okay, okay. And bought him a new CD player. And uh, went to the house. Gave it to him. I said, what's this, Dad? Well, that's for you. Opens it Oh, wow. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Straight up to the room, plugs it in, turns it on, CD on. Boom, 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 boom. I thought, I knew that would happen. <laughs> you see, and the story is not, so he repented. No, he didn't. A few years before that happened. Praise God, it did happen. Hallelujah. He's a pastor, preacher now, bless his heart. But it was a gift. He didn't deserve it. He didn't know what to do with it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Gifts are not rewards. We think, oh, if only we could be more powerful here in Hastings. Oh God, make us more holy that we could have more. Um, it's like God deals with us in two channels. Of course he wants us more holy. Lord, make us more united so he can give us power. Yeah, of course he wants us united. The gift of God is a gift. It's a gift. It's not because you've earned it. it it's other than you. And I, I say I'm, I'm, I'm underlining this difference because I think, I think somewhat in our British temperament, but I think it's a Christian thing that we often feel, I've got to deserve it. I've got to deserve because how could I go down? It's because there must be something wrong with me. No, it's a gift. It's a gift. It's not, for, it's not because of you. It's other than you and it's free. It's absolutely free. I watched on television, at least on my um, iPad recently, I was watching live, don't know if any of you saw it, or were there maybe, Holy Trinity Brompton Leaders Conference at the Royal Albert Hall. This was like two, maybe three weeks ago. I mean, it was fantastic. I was very impressed. 5,000 people, and it's live linked. I think 70 nations were tuning in, watching it live. And one of the most exciting things, I only watched it one day, but it's really, really exciting. At one point, Nicky Gumbel's up there and he's talking about the work they do. They've got a project for helping uh, unemployed people, furniture store, they employ people uh, and uh, they, they get furniture cheaply available for people and so on. It's a mercy work. And they've got guys working there and, uh, and he's standing up speaking to these 5,000 people and he says, well, we've been wonderful, we've seen people saved, even working there. And then he says, oh, I'm Johnny, whatever, why don't you come up? 
And so this guy comes up on the platform, he's looking around the Royal Albert Hall, and he said, well, what happened to you? He said, well, I was working at the shop, and uh, they said, come on Alpha. So he said, uh, I went on Alpha. And uh, he said, when I went, about the second week, he said, a guy came across the circle to me, he said, you've got some pain, haven't you? And he said, yeah, I have. He said, let me pray for you. And he, he prayed for him, and he was healed. And he thought, wow. And so he kept coming to Alpha, and, and he got saved. And then Nicky said to him, and so you had a chance to tell other people? He said, yeah. He said, ah, oh, Jimmy, you come up. So the next guy comes up. And they're kind of on the platform. And of course, Nicky's kind of a bit upper crust, and these were not. And uh, they're going, whoa, uh, you're looking around these crowds. And he said, well, what happened to you? Well, he said, he got healed, didn't he? He said, uh, wow, I thought I'd better go and see what this is all about. <laughs> so he said, I went to Alpha. And he said, what happened to you? Well, I got, I got converted too, didn't I? And he said, yeah, and then some more happened to you, didn't it? He said, yeah, I did. He said, come on up. Third one, George, come up. So George comes up. So George comes up and says, oh, I'm on this big platform, aren't I? So he says, well, what happened to you? So he said, well, he said, I had a lot of pain. A lot of pain. And he points to the second one, he said, but he said, he prayed for me. He said, uh, yeah, what happened? He said, oh, I felt this heat go right through me, he said. And all the pain went. He said, well, what? He said, yeah, this guy. He's just been saved a couple of weeks on Alpha. And he laid hands on him and he said, I got healed. And Nicky said, yeah, I noticed you at HTB last Sunday. He said, yeah, I was there. He said, how long was the queue of people asking you to pray for him? He said, oh, about 40, I think. He said. <laughs> Do you understand? God, dear friends, has put us into another dimension. He's put us into life in the spirit. And this guy who's only just saved is seeing people healed. It's not fair. It hasn't looked, no, no, it isn't fair. That's what grace is all about. That's what gift is all about. See, I heard a man in the States called John MacArthur who is reportedly a very great Bible teacher in America and written books and he's quite a famous name in the States. Very formal, sadly anti-charismatic wrote a book 20 years ago called Charismatic Chaos. Very hostile book. I've never read it, but that's the reputation of it. And he's being interviewed. I watched it on television when we were there last time. And, on the, tele- and the guy's interviewing me. He said, he's in his own setting. And I said to him, um, I want to ask you this, uh, Mr. MacArthur. He said, you, you wrote um, Charismatic Chaos 20 years ago. Well, things have moved on 20 years. Um, have you changed your view at all? He said, not at all. I totally oppose this whole nonsense. Completely oppose it. And then he said this, fascinating. He said, if these gifts were still around in the church today, do you not suppose that God wouldn't give the gifts to responsible Bible teachers? (laughs) See, that sounded so logical if you think along the wrong channel. If you forget, you just said gift. Now, if you think it's reward, if you think it's, wow, you're impressive, you better... No, no, it's gift. It's for a guy who's just stumbled into the kingdom. Paul writes to the Corinthians. I've just been reading through Corinthians. I mean, they were a real pain to him. 
But he says in the opening chapter, you come behind, you lack no spiritual gift. They were bad news. You lack no spiritual gift. Beloved, some of us have been charismatics for a long time. We need to be seeing more of the manifestation of the power of the Spirit. And one of the reasons we don't is because of your humility and your godliness and you think you're not worthy. I honestly think that's the snare. We think, ah, I don't think I'm good enough for that. I think it's not being good enough. It's because Jesus won a great victory and we share the spoils. We, We get in because he won. I love the story of David and Goliath. When David took out Goliath... He turned a bunch of losers into a bunch of winners. And they hadn't done anything. He just took Goliath out. And all these losers became winners. What has been accomplished through the cross and the coming of the Spirit has changed our situation. God will help us with our holiness as we press on. If we want to get more and more like him, let's do it. Please, let's do it. But gifts are not rewards for holiness. Amen? It's important, dear friends. We will hold back. We'll miss. When I watched this thing on HTB, I thought, man alive, those guys have jumped through. Why? Because they don't know any better. They've never learned. They've never been told you're not good enough. They've never been told you're not mature enough. They stumbled in. And that's how it was on the day of Pentecost. These terrible 12 disciples who were a pain in the neck came alive. They came alive. The Spirit of God. The gift of God. Which is where? In you. Alright? It's in you. Now let's just get hold of this too before we come to the fanning bit. Where is this gift? It's in you. If you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, Paul says, stir up the gift that's in you through the laying on of my hands. He's saying, I lay hands on you, the Spirit came on you. Now you might think, wow, Paul laid hands on it. You know, we sometimes think, if I could get him, you know, or her, you know, Catherine Coleman laid hands on, whoa, you know, Benny Hinn. Wow, he, I remember Steve Brading, he was, we were together in the States once, and he was with Mike Bickler, and he went to a meeting, and, uh, and Benny Hinn was there, and they were, background's hilarious, but he was in the front row, and he suddenly, come up, and says, and Steve said, there's Benny Hinn, I mean, suddenly you're there, suddenly, you know, from somewhere else, he just got all the wrong tickets, and suddenly you're in the front row, and he said, all these pastors and their wives are dressed like for a wedding, and, because uh, they're all smart, and that's the way it is, and he's there, just in a summer outfit, short sleeves, and, come up, come up, so he said, I went up, he said, he said, he just waved his arm, and he said, I flew back, he said, it's like a truck hit me, just a power. And they said, and Benny says, oh, pick him up. So he pick him up. So Steve's all over the place, you know. We said, Benny, but Benny he laid hands on me. Wow. Well, Paul laid hands on Timothy. I mean, that might be substantial, eh? Paul, it's the Apostle Paul. You think, well, that would last. Paul says, Timothy, stir up, fan into flame the gift that's in you. That's interesting, isn't it? Fan it into flame. 
Stir it up, rekindle it. What, you mean Paul can lay hands on you and you still have to fan it into flame? Yes. Yes. And a similar thing he says in 1 Timothy 4, do not neglect the gift of God that is in you. Don't neglect it. I mean, you could neglect, yes you can. You could neglect it. And then some young guy who stands at the Royal Albert Hall and has only just got in, he's experiencing the power of God. Some of us have been filled with the Spirit for 20 years and don't neglect. Fan into flame the gift of God that's in you. Stir it up. Now that's teaching me something that I have to understand. The gift is within you. The anointing abides, it says. The Spirit is in you. Don't miss the point. We tend to think the Spirit is somewhere else. No, the Spirit is in you, through the laying on of my hands. In 1 Timothy 4, it says, the Spirit which was bestowed on you when the elders laid hands on you. It's something that has happened, and you need to be awakened to it. It's similar in Luke. I, I noticed this. It says in Luke 4, Jesus said this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He anointed me. So he, 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 what's happened, he's been baptised in water, as he comes up out of the water, the Spirit falls upon him. And he stands up and he says, the Spirit of the Lord's upon me, he anointed me. He doesn't say, I feel anointed today. He says, he anointed me. He's not describing a subjective feeling. He's referring to a historic event. He anointed me. Do you hear that? He anointed me. It's not, I feel anointed today. We use the word anointed very carelessly, don't we? We say, oh, that's a very anointed song. It was a very anointed meeting. We use the word all over the place. Jesus said, he anointed me. It's happened. It's it's an event that took place. He anointed me. He anointed me. It's not a subjective feeling. It's a historic fact. One more. In John's Gospel, chapter 4, uh, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. You remember that strange conversation? And uh, he says, give me some water to drink. She says, you haven't got a bucket. And uh, he says, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew who was speaking to you, you would ask me, and I give you living water, and you would have in you a well of water springing up. You would have in you a well. Now she gets confused with the conversation. You know it. I'm sure most of us are familiar with the story. But she understands it enough to say, give me that. Then I won't have to keep coming to this well. I won't have to keep coming to the well. Give me. Give me what you're offering. I can have the well. See, most of us think I came for a drink. Jesus says you can have the well. See, otherwise... Do you understand? You've got a well. <laughs> when you got filled with the Spirit, you've got a well. He that believes in me, out of his guts shall flow rivers of living water. You've got a well. You didn't just get a drink, you've got a well. Fan into flame the gift that's in you. You've got the well. You see, otherwise we think, well, 
I, I loved it this morning. I mean, the worship was so refreshing and beautiful, great songs, beautifully led by great musicians and lovely themes and thoughts. And yeah, of course, it's wonderful. We love being here. But what you can think is, this is the well. That's how you kind of get in your mind. So I think, whoa, and tomorrow it's Monday. Oh, Monday. Monday morning. I hate Monday. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I hope I'll make it to Sunday. I've got to get back to the well. No, you can have the well. You have in you a well. You have in you a well. That's the promise. You have in you a well. Fan into flame then. The gift of God. That's in you. Stir it up. Don't neglect it. Don't neglect it. So what does it mean? Let's just quickly wind this up. Don't neglect the gift God's given you. I believe it's got at least two applications. One, the, the coming of the Spirit upon you. Don't ignore that. See, sometimes people allow their emotions to govern their lives. And you've got something on board that can overcome your emotions, your limitations, your timidity, your being too young, inexperienced. All that stuff can give you, who are you? Well, I'm this person who often gets sick, I'm a bit young. No, no, come on. You've got enough. Fan into flame. What, what, what can put the flame out? Well, I love that story back in the Old Testament when David, it says David was at Ziklag and he, and he made a mistake. And he went out with the army. When he came back, the enemy had come in, stolen everything, took their wives and children, everything. And it says that his followers, David's followers, wanted to stone him. So you call yourself a leader. You're a waste of time. Let's stone him. Well, happily, they didn't stone him. And it says this, he encouraged himself in the Lord. I only just noticed this recently. That's the first thing he did. He encouraged himself in the Lord. Then he asked counsel, should we go after them or not? That's probably the, yeah, the priest with him. It's probably the Urim and Thummim. We won't get into all that. But they had ways of knowing it. Yes, no from God. But he didn't get encouragement from hearing, yes, go. He got encouraged first. The encouragement wasn't the good news. The encouragement was he encouraged himself in the Lord. How did he do that? Well, look at the Psalms. The Psalms say things like this, which David wrote. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope thou in God. I shall yet praise him. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say, if you don't speak to your soul, your soul will speak to you. You're a waste of time. Yeah, I know I am. You're useless. That's what I thought. No, no. Your, yourself will speak, give you, no, no, speak to yourself. Bring truth to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. Fan into flame. Spring up, O well. Sing to it. Some of us, some of us got the gift of tongues. Do you speak in tongues? Mm. Some people say it's the least of the gifts. No, 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 no. It's from God. It's from God. I love, when I've met Jackie Pullinger, she said, I speak in tongues half an hour every morning. Every morning, I speak in tongues half an hour. Well, what did she do? Well, she went to Hong Kong. She confronted by drug addicts. I mean, talk about tough. It was, I mean, she's a woman. It's all wrong. She's on alone, single girl, living alone, taking guys in off the streets. She said to me, I never undressed for weeks. I didn't dare in my own home because I've got these guys sleeping on the floor. I mean, this is terrible. How did he do it? Well, I spoke in tongues half an hour every morning. I stir up the gift that's in me. 
I fan into flame the gift. I sing in tongues every morning. I speak in tongues more these days than I ever used to. Paul said to the Corinthians, I speak in tongues more than all of you. You Corinthians. Don't neglect the gift of God that's in you. Fan into flame the gift of God. The awareness of the presence of the Spirit. Because it's possible to neglect it. It's possible to have had Paul lay hands on you and forget it. And be shaped by timidity, youthfulness and sickness. Come on. Be filled. Wake up. No, it doesn't say get to the... No, no. The well's on the inside. It's not, you've got to get to the well again. No, no, he's there. Come on. Come on. Fan into flame. I remember when I was a kid, first thing I used to hear in the mornings, when I first woke, very often the thing that woke me, would be my father, and the only way we had heat in the home in those ancient days was a fire. And the first thing I would hear in the morning would be my dad with a metal poker, and he's digging out yesterday's. He's digging out the ashes. So he can re... What are ashes? Ashes are what burned yesterday. And I go to some churches and you think, gosh, this place is... I was at a conference once, I was a guest speaker, and nostalgia was in the air. It was thick with nostalgia. Constant references to how it used to be. I'm so thrilled when I come in here and I see your projections into the future. See, what can stop burning? Well, living in the past... Failing to get rid of the clutter. Allowing other people throwing cold water on you to think, oh, I won't do that again. See, what can happen is you can start in a gift even, a specific gift. And it didn't quite go as you expected. It may be your very first time you speak in tongues in a meeting or you begin to interpret. Or maybe you prophesy and you prophesy and you get something and you speak it out and think, gosh, this is me. And I'm speaking, and think, oh, this is scary. And then maybe, maybe someone says to you afterwards, ah, well done, it was great. Probably you went on a bit at the end. Um, after it finished, really, you just kept talking. And they're just trying to help you. You think, oh, I'll never do that again. Oh, gosh, I'm ne- forget it. I'm never, I'm never going to step out again. It can be evangelism at work. You begin, to we- you begin to witness. Someone turns on you. You begin to prophesy. You begin to speak. In t- be- I remember we prayed. I, I laid hands on a child when she was very sick many years ago, and she died the next day, and I told my unsaved parents, she's been healed. It's like, forget that. Forget it. We can, we can back off. Let me close my own testimony. thrilled to hear this lovely testimony here this morning about someone was healed. I, I, I got healed myself from a bad back. I, I, I had real pain. And uh, I, went, I was, went to the doctor, went to the hospital, took x-rays. They said, no, we can't quite see anything. We can't work it out. <laughs> I'd sat in the waiting room for ages. At the end, they just said, well, one thing we would say is, don't sit on hard chairs anywhere. I thought, I'm <laughs> <laughs> I've never sat on such a hard chair for so long. Anyway... Then, a while later, I was taken to an osteopath. And the osteopath put me on his bed, I suppose it is. And uh, it, the, the colleague who was with me said, tell him what's wrong with him. And they said, I'm not a doctor. I said, no, just look at him, tell him. So I looked, and he said, well, he's got one leg longer than the other. And the osteopath said, that's why he's got pain. That's, that's the reason. 
He said, they're looking at where the pain is, that's why the pain is. So I started going to him regularly, see if he could manipulate my back and stuff, and it, it came to nothing, and, uh, but it was costing me not nothing, and I stopped going and just put up with the pain. And uh, I, I wouldn't be able to stand like this long. I'd, I'd be, hello, I've lost the timing, sorry. Are we all right? So I'm sorry about this. Very quickly, sorry. I thought we were going for 12, I've got it. Never mind, sorry. <laughs> um, long-winded, big pun. So I'd sit on, I'd sit on a, you know, I couldn't stand for too long. And uh, anyway, I got used to the pain. I didn't like it, but you just live with it. And then a, pr- a preacher came to my church and he said, anybody here got a bad back? And I said, yeah, I got a bad back. Come forward. A load of us went forward. He sat us in the front row. He sat on the floor, took my feet in his hands. You could see the difference. He prayed a short prayer. My short leg grew. And that was the end of the pain. I mean, I was just it. All over. Finished. And he said, you pray for people. And I started praying for people. And I saw it happening again and again. Wow, this is exciting. And then I got sort of uneasy. I thought, what's funny? I don't seem to be able to pray for the blind and make them see or the deaf and make them hear. And so I kind of backed off. And I I thought, well, I'll let it go. And uh, I stopped doing it. I let it be quenched, really. And then a while back, interestingly, I was at Spring Harvest, as it happens, and I was preaching, and a guy came up to me, aren't you Terry? Oh, yes. He said, you prayed for me years ago. He said, I had back pain. I've never had any pain since you prayed for me. I thought, oh, that's wonderful, really. I thought, "Mm, don't do that anymore. And then then Wendy uh, spoke to a neighbor who said, my husband's locked in pain. He's, he, was, he's, he just can't move. And Wendy said to her, I'll get my husband to come pray for him. So I went down, prayed for this guy, and his leg just grew straight away. And I saw him the next day, he said, I've been digging concrete out of my garden this morning. He said, I thought God said to me, come on, stop hiding, you know, just get on with it. So I started praying for the sick, and I, I saw lots of people see their leg grow and pain go from their back. I prayed for a, a guy at Matt Hosier's church, and he, he interrupted the Sunday meeting. I prayed for him on the Saturday. He said, this morning, he said, whenever I get up in the morning, I go downstairs backwards. The only way I can do it. He said, this morning, I ran down, free from pain. So I started praying for people. I prayed for some people in the States. I prayed for one, I prayed for another. I come to the next guy, he says, my knees are shot through. I thought, what do you mean, knees? He said, oh, just shot through. So I thought, oh, I'll pray for him. I prayed for him and then I went to the next person and, and then they're all laughing I thought what are you laughing at and I looked round and this guy is jumping on and off of chairs around the church he said I can play basketball again I can play basketball again I thought my word and then the next guy said a broken collarbone got three pins in here he said oh, can you pray for me I thought well I kind of um, uh, that's a new world to me so he said, yeah, it's terribly... He said, guy came behind me the other day, tapped me on the shoulders. I fell to the ground. The pain's so intense. I can't carry a bag over my shoulder. It's just so terribly... So I prayed for him. Big smile on his face. He said, oh, wow. Oh, wow. And then the bouncy guy comes around and slaps him on the shoulder. He says, hey. <laughs> and then next Sunday, they both stand up in their opening worship, interrupt the first song. And so, and I, so I start going on and on and on and praying. I prayed for a guy, a lady actually at Sunbury the other day. She's in the worship group. She said, I can't get my arms any higher than this. She said, I saw her in the worship. I didn't think about it. She said, that's it. And, I, and she said, she showed me a three vertebrae scar here. So we prayed. And I said, come on then, let's raise your hands. And she said, oh, I'm scared. 
And she began to, and she stopped. I said, come on. So we prayed, and she started going up and up and up and up. And tears started coming down here, big smile, tears. And her friends were all whooping, hey, look, look, look. And she put her hands down and said, I haven't shampooed my own hair for years. So I can't, others have to do it, I can't touch. Then she said, I can't put my hand, oh, look, oh, look, oh, look. And she held her hands behind her back. She said, I haven't done this for years. I thought, Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Go with what God's giving you. Go with it. Go with it. If God gave you prophetic things, don't say, well, I tried and I got it wrong. Come on. Fan into flame. Speak in tongues in your own home. Spend time in the presence of the Spirit. Fan into flame. The gift of God. Let's believe that God is among us. I'm sorry I've got another time. Let's stand to pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are committed to us. Thank you for your generous heart, your grace. That's bigger than anything we deserve, anything we can accomplish. Lord, some of us just come before this morning. You know, we feel... We sometimes feel, I haven't had a good week, I've not done well. I'm supposed to be a, I'm supposed to be a godly woman. I, I lost my temper with my kids. I, Lord, you know how we come, Father. You know, I just want to thank you for grace. I want to thank you for the gift of righteousness. I thank you that you look on us like you look on Jesus. Perfect in his righteousness. And we thank you, you're just as willing and free in giving gifts. So Holy Spirit, just ask you to keep drawing us into your presence. Keep flooding us more and more. Keep making us to know that you're enough for us. Lord, some of us feel so ill-equipped. We don't, we're not very impressed with ourselves. We're, we're waiting till we can feel a bit more impressed with ourselves. Lord, we just thank you that it's all free. We know you get the glory when it's obviously not us. These are ignorant, uneducated people. How come they're doing such miracles? We thank you. You got the glory because Peter, James, John channeled your power. Father, I ask in Jesus' name, help us. Keep blessing this wonderful church, Lord. Keep blessing us as we open the coffee bar, as we open ourselves to this neighborhood, this community. Let many, many people find their way, not only into this building, but into the kingdom of God. Give us courage to say, can I pray for you? Help us to open the kingdom, open up heaven's power to people in need. Bless this great church, Lord. Glorify your great name. Help us to receive your word with faith. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Can I just say, if anybody would like to be prayed for, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be available to pray for people, maybe over on the side uh, at the end. And if you've got lower back, I'd love to start for praying for people with lower back pain. I'd love to start there because I know that you'll be healed. If you've got lower back pain, I'd love to pray for you over here.
And then it may be other things we can pray for. You have coffee here, I hear, and uh, buns and things, or biscuits, whatever, amazing books over there. Uh, You don't have to rush off. It's such a nice place to be. So God bless you. Thank you for being here. God uses the unlikely. He fills us with his spirit. Have a great afternoon. Ladies, don't forget this evening, 7 o'clock. And if you'd like prayer, head down to my left-hand side. We will, Terry would love to pray for you. And uh, hang around for coffee. Thanks very much. Have a great afternoon.